Well, turn in your Bibles with me now to the book of Ephesians. We're going to uh, return to our study of this wonderful book of the New Testament. If you didn't bring a Bible, no worries. We've got some Bibles underneath the chairs. If you uh, find a Bible underneath a chair nearby, pull it out, turn to page 1159. 1159, and you'll find the passage that we're going to look at today. This is a part of our series that we've been doing lately called Deep Stuff. In fact, this is the last installment on this series. We've looked for the last six weeks at some really foundational truths that God has put in the book of Ephesians. It's one of my favorite books. Probably many of you would consider Ephesians one of your favorites as well. We've learned about predestination and adoption and redemption and salvation by grace and reconciliation. And last week, Matt Ryman preached on the church. Today, we're going to come to the seventh and last subject in this series. And we're going to talk today about sanctification. Sanctification is just a fancy word for meaning growing more and more like Jesus, growing more and more holy. And what I'd like to do with you this morning is look basically at what sanctification is and how it happens. So that's our direction today. And the text is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 16. So listen carefully as I read God's word. Ephesians 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that given to us that is filled with truth about you and how to live. And Holy Spirit, we pray now that you will come and illumine our hearts and minds and give us a taste of Jesus this morning. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I'd like to explore three things from this text with you this morning. The first one is that if you are a follower of Jesus, and that means if you've stopped trying to be your own Lord and Savior, You've stopped trying to save yourself by your own good works and your own efforts. And you've trusted in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a new identity. You have a new identity. That's what Paul says in this text as well as in the whole letter of Ephesians. It's been his concern from the very first chapter of Ephesians to make sure we understand that you and I, if we're Christians, have a new identity You remember back in chapter 1, Paul talked about this. He said, you are a person 
who has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You've been chosen, you've been adopted, redeemed, saved by grace, reconciled to God. You've become a member of the body of Christ. You've been gifted, you've been called, and so on and so forth. And then in chapter 4, verse 24, Paul gets even more explicit about your new identity. He says in that verse, to put off your old self and to put on the new self which has been created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, Paul is not saying that when you're a Christian, you're somehow suddenly perfect or sinless. He's not saying that. But he is saying that the moment a person is in relationship with God through faith in Jesus, he or she becomes a new person, a new creation. That's not just make-believe. It's really, really true. He or she begins as a newly adopted, newly justified child of God, has a new identity. And then later on in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul is going to say about your new identity that you're a dearly loved child of God. You've been adopted into his family. You're no longer an orphan. Jesus is your older brother. God is your father. And you can call out to him in intimate terms, Abba or Daddy, Father, because he's adopted you. That's your identity. Well, all of that is preparatory to our text this morning. And in chapter 5, verse 8, the very first verse that I read, Paul talks even more about your new identity. He says in chapter 5, verse 8, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's who you are. You are, if you're a child of God following Christ today, light in the Lord. You say, but I don't feel like light. Sorry. You are light in the Lord. You say, I sin so much. You don't understand. I am such a a terrible sinner. You are light in the Lord. Sure, it's important to know your sin. Of course, you've got to repent and daily bring those things to the cross. But the Bible says you're not just in the light. You are the light in the Lord. You thought Jesus was the light of the world. Well, so are you. So are we corporately, the church. In his sermon last week, Matt said that we, the church, are to extend the ministry of Jesus in the world. And this is just another way of saying the same thing. Jesus is the light of the world. You, I, we together are light in the Lord. But I don't love the Lord nearly as much as I should. I know. (laughs) But God says you are light in him. The reason that I'm trying to repeat this so often is that this is so very important that you get this matter of identity in Christ Because the problem so many of us have is that we're constantly looking at ourselves like in a mirror, seeing our faults and seeing our blemishes. And we're defining ourselves in terms of what we're not. Am I right? A lot of you know your sin so well and you continually look at it and that's good. It it keeps you humble. It keeps you repentant. But you conclude from looking at your sin that that sin defines you. And the Bible is saying it does not define you. The old has gone and the new has come. You're a new creation. 
You're a dearly loved child. You're his chosen one, his adopted, redeemed, reconciled, gifted son or daughter. So when you look at yourself and you see what you're not, the Bible is calling you to see who you are, who you are in Christ thanks to the redemptive work of grace. You see, we all get our identity from something. I mean, it's just a human uh, need. We need to know who we are. You remember that old classic uh, nightclub song, I Gotta Be Me? We're all establishing identity every single day in something or in someone. Some of you get your identity from trying to be cooler than all your friends. You know, you think if, if you can say the things that are cool, look cool, act cool, and so on, that's your identity, that makes you worthwhile, that makes you special. Some of you perhaps build your identity and get your security from being a homeschool mom or being a dad that coaches his kid's soccer team. Now, those are good things to do. But if you're building your security on that, if that's what your reputation is and that's what you're trusting in, it's going to go by the wayside sooner or later. Others of you try to build your identity on being the guy or woman in the office who always gets their work done on time. Or maybe you find your identity in, uh, in knowing a lot about something, you know, whether it's uh, sports or politics or the economy or the news or history or something like that. Now, look, all of those things that I'm listing are fine to do They are fine to enjoy, but if those things are what you look to, I'll say it again, if that that stuff is what you look to to build your life on and to find joy and meaning in and to get people to like you and admire you, what are you going to do when you fail? How will you feel when the bottom falls out in your life? Or when you get old and you're not cool anymore? Or how are you going to feel, parents, when your kid tells you she's pregnant or when you lose your job or your money or your reputation or whatever it might happen to be. See, only who you are in Christ will give you true security. Only your new identity as light in the Lord will be there for you throughout your life. It will never change. Okay, so I hope you get that first point. If you're a follower of Christ, you've got a new identity. So important to know. But now let's go on to the next thing that Paul is going to teach us from this, that flows out of this. And you should never separate the two. If you're a follower of Christ, not only do you have a new identity, but you have a big responsibility. You have a big responsibility. Look at the second half of verse 8, the first verse. You remember the first half said, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now here's the second part. Live as children of light. I once heard a sermon on 1 Peter 2.9. Now you don't have to turn to that. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And you know what the sermon title was? You are that you may. And that's why I named my sermon, Be Who You Are. That's the order the Holy Spirit has written the Bible in. Who you are determines and from that flows what you do. 
Again, look at verse 8. You were once darkness, now you're light in the Lord, so the implication is live as children of light. God wants you to get at a very deep level who you are in Christ because when you get that, when you meditate on that, when you live out of that, you'll live like God wants you to live. You are that you may. Take a look at this chart. It's a very simple chart, but it's what I'm talking about. Many people think that obedience comes before identity. A lot of churches teach this too. Maybe you've come from a church that was all about behavior, all about performance. Clean up your act and then God will love you. Or maybe not in so many words, but that was the implication. If you behave yourself, if you obey the Ten Commandments, if you try hard to be good, you'll make God's honor roll. It'll be like God will give you a Boy Scout merit badge. He'll give you a pat on the back. He'll give you an attaboy. He'll give you a 10-year pin. He'll reward you with heaven. He'll answer your prayers or something like that. But it's all based on obedience. It's all based on do's and don'ts and oughts and shoulds. That's what a lot of Christians think. But the Bible says that identity comes before obedience. Just like verse 8 is written. You are that you may. Be who you are. Knowing who you are in Christ produces the desire to be holy. Living out of your new identity, believing what the gospel says about who you are in Christ is what creates a willing, obedient spirit. Paul in Romans 1 verse 5 talks about the obedience that comes from faith. That's exactly what this chart is talking about. The obedience that flows out of faith in the gospel. It's when you believe the gospel, you see, and you build your identity on Jesus and what he's done for you and what he says about you, right? Instead of building it on what you do for him or some other worldly thing, that's when you'll... That's when you'll begin to love Jesus more and you'll love your sin less and you'll find yourself more and more wanting to obey God and live in a way that glorifies and pleases Him. That's how sanctification works. Growth in holiness, here's your takeaway today. Growth in holiness is not so much a matter of trying harder to be a different person as it is of being who you already are in Jesus. You are that you may. So back to our topic. What does it look like to live as children of light? If it's true that you are light in the Lord, and if it's true that knowing that is what actually creates the desire to walk as a child of light, what is that going to look like in our lives? And here's the answer. It means to find out where the darkness is and go do something about it. Living as children of light means to find out where darkness is and go do something about it. Where is there darkness? That's the question you need to be answering. Where is there darkness in your sphere of influence, in your life, or in your knowledge of the world? Where is there darkness? Where is there an absence of the reign of God, R-E-I-G-N? Where is there an absence of shalom, the kind of peace that Jesus died to give human beings? Where is there an absence of the peace of Christ? Do something about it. That's what it is. It's a simple lesson. 
do something about it. It's your responsibility. Take Japan, for example. We've talked about it today, and I really want you to get the vision for Japan that we here at this church have. Japan is a world economic leader. No dispute about that. You and I drive their cars and use their technology with delight. Japan has the longest life expectancy of any country in the world. Tokyo is the world's largest metropolitan area. But do you know why we're focusing a lot of our attention and missions giving and support on Japan? It's because Japan is spiritually dark. Very, very dark. As Brad pointed out, 20,000 people lost their lives on 3-11. That's what they called the tsunami back in March. But every year, over 30,000 Japanese people killed themselves. A lot of them throw themselves in front of the subway trains. We were told we might actually see that happen while we were there. Fortunately, we did not. That would have been very disturbing. It's very bad that that many people kill themselves. But what's even more disturbing is how many of those kill themselves and go to an unhopeless eternity. Having never heard the gospel, having never been introduced to Jesus, the one who could have given them a different kind of life. There are 3.7 million churches in the world. Most of them are in developed countries. Japan is a developed country, but there are not many churches in Japan. Japan is number 52 out of 53 nations in terms of church attendance. Almost everybody who lives in Japan is some combination of Buddhist and Shinto. But if you ask the average Japanese what they believe, they really don't know. They're thoroughly confused spiritually. There are only 8,000 Protestant churches in Japan. That's one church for every 16,200 people. And many of those churches that I'm including in that 8,000 are not what we would call evangelical or gospel-centered. So we're going to be very generous and say there are 8,000 Protestant churches in Japan. But a lot of them don't teach the gospel. In Toyosu, where our missionaries John and Sarah File live, whom we support as a church, there is no church for 126,000 people. That's why John and Sarah moved there, to plant a church in Toyosu. In Shinyurayasu, where Robert and Lisa Stewart now live, whom we also support, there is no church for 40,000 people. And despite these facts, the number of missionaries going to Japan is dropping all the time. Here in the U.S., there are 330,000 Protestant churches, one for every 900 people. On my way to church this morning, I passed by at least seven evangelical Bible-believing churches, a couple of whom have over hundreds, more than hundreds of members. The average church size in Japan, 30 to 35. So a lot of Japanese churches could fit in our building this morning. There are dark places in the U.S., to be sure. There are dark places all over the world, to be sure. But Japan is much, much darker. Most of the Japanese people that we met, the team that was up here, have no idea who Jesus is or what he did, much less have a relationship with him. So I'm using Japan as just an illustration of the kind of 
the kind of question you and I need to be asking ourselves, where is their darkness? And what am I going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? If you are light in the Lord, as you are if you're in Christ, then the command of Scripture is to be the light. Be who you are. Find the darkness and go do something about it. You know, sometimes it's enough just to show up. Light doesn't talk. Now, people need to hear the words of the gospel, but sometimes the thing to do as light is just show up and be there. Our job is to go where God says go and and pretty much say, Lord, here I am, send me, just like Isaiah the prophet. It might mean holding out a cup of curried rice to somebody whose home got swept away by the tsunami. That's showing up. It, it might mean, if you're going to be light in the darkness, it might be praying daily for some of our missionaries and for the needs of specific things and people and places in the world. It might mean speaking out against evil and injustice at work or at school. That seems to be the point of verse 11 of our text that says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's part of being the light. Going into the darkness. I'm reading a biography right now about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Many of you know about Bonhoeffer. He gave his life back in World War II times in Germany because he dared to be the light in the darkness. He dared to speak out and expose the the, uh, evils and the injustices of Hitler's Nazism. Look, nobody's probably going to write a biography about anybody in this room. It doesn't matter. There's plenty of opportunity to be light in dark places in every single one of our lives. It might mean that some of you might have to move to a dark place and live there. I wonder if somebody in our church is being called to Japan, even as we speak this morning. It's very possible that God wants you to move to Japan and be light in that dark country. It might mean that you spend an afternoon listening to somebody's story And saying nothing but loving that person. Certainly for all of us, it means digging down deep into our pockets and giving away money for the cause of Christ and the growth of the church. Well, I could go on with examples, but every day, I think you get the point, every day you and I have opportunities to be light in the darkness, so be who you are. Be who you are. Why is this important? And here's the last thing I want to say. It's important because we don't have a lot of time. You don't have a lot of time to be the light. Look at verses 15 and 16. Paul says there, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Another translation of that says to redeem the time, to buy up the time. In other words, make the best use you can of the time that you have remaining. Why? Because, number one, life is short. And number two, because you're constantly being bombarded with temptation to shirk your responsibility and to be lazy. And so Paul's warning is, hey, be wise Don't do that. Don't waste your life. Rather, redeem the time that you have. Fill up every minute that you can to live for Christ and to do something about the darkness in our world. This coming Friday is called Black Friday in our country. How many of you, well, I want to ask, but some of you are going to wake up really, really early 
and go to Target or Best Buy or Dillard's or some other place, and I might be there when you get there. Uh, some of you might even uh, camp out overnight. Because Why? Because you want to buy up a deal that's going to disappear, right? It's because you want to redeem a product, maybe a new TV, a new phone, some other piece of technology. You want to redeem it out of its captivity in that store before somebody else grabs it. That's the whole point of Black Friday. We see it as urgent, don't we? We see it as as an opportunity that's slipping away. If we don't do it now, we're going to have to wait a whole other year. Friend, Paul is saying, be that creative. Be that determined. Be that focused on living for Christ and making a difference. Make the most of the time God has given you to be the light of the world. Because that's who you are. What did Jesus do for us? He came into the darkness of our sin and gave that we might have life and light. Now that you've been given that light, find a dark place and go there. Okay? Let's pray. I think it's very appropriate that we use for our prayer a famous prayer. It's called the Prayer of St. Francis. Let's make this our sincere prayer to the Lord. Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.